0: A reading from Genesis 6, 9-22. These are Noah's descendants. In his generation, Noah was a moral and exemplary man. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In God's sight, the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God saw that the earth was corrupt because all creatures behaved corruptly on the earth. God said to Noah, The end has come for all creatures. Since they have filled the earth with violence, I am now about to destroy them along with the earth. So make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places and cover it inside and out with tar. This is how you should make it. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and complete it, one foot from the top. Put a door in its side, in the hold below. Make the second and third decks. I am now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on earth is about to take its last breath. But I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. From all living creatures, from all creatures, you are to bring a pair, male and female, into the ark with you to keep them alive. From each kind of bird, from each kind of livestock, and from each kind of everything that crawls on the ground, A pair from each will go in with you to stay alive. Take some from every kind of food and stow it as food for you and for the animals. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks for joining us today. I'm really grateful that you're here. My prayer for you is that this time would be a transformative experience, not just today, but every time that you tune in. Today we are continuing our series called The Best Stories Ever, and we're looking at the major stories of the Old and the New Testament and finding application for our lives and the redemptive pieces that lead to Jesus. And so today we are in Genesis 6. And so if you have a Bible or, a, or your device or an extra device, you can open that up now. And I want you to work through this chapter with me and see what they said just thousands of years ago and what happened then and how it relates to our lives today. I believe that we all need models. We all need mentors. We all need leaders in our life. Someone that can show us how, to show us the way. They could be historical figures. They can be real-life figures. We all need models in our life. When you look at the book of Genesis, you see that some of these people in their lives, they were driven by God's purpose. They were models for our life and how to live. We can live looking and how we can live looking at their lives. So today we're looking at one of them and his name is Noah. And Noah is an infamous and famous figure in the Bible. But we're going to look at how God's purpose became a great power in his life. Noah's life is one of those great examples and a model for us of motivation and faithfulness and faith. And honestly, what could motivate a person to build an ark? What could keep somebody faithful in all of those years to build an ark and to do something that he didn't even know what really he was doing? So the evidence of the Bible says that it took about 100 to 120 years for him to do this. What motivates a person and what keeps a person faithful for a 120-year project? I mean, it's hard for me to be faithful to a two-week project, right? Let alone 120 years. So there had to have been an incredible faith, an incredible motivation and faithfulness in his life. So Noah shows us that there's like a, a secret to life basically living in God's purpose. It is no secret to be able to survive the disasters of the age. And that's the kind of life that he lived. He lived a life of faith and a life living of purpose. And that's the life that won. That's the life that wins. That's the life that I want to have Is one that is truly motivated by the purpose of God. So in Genesis 4, if you go back, we're going to be in Genesis 6, but I want to just Cruise back to Genesis 4 a little bit. Here's a brand new world, brand new opportunity. Just the world is their oyster, basically. Very few people in it. And you could be whatever, wherever you wanted in this, in this life of that, of that time. And somehow, with two brothers, we get our first murder, right? So we just saw the Garden of Eden. We saw how that story unfolded. God said it was good, and then they made some choices to eat the fruit, and now we're living this result, and they were living that result. And right there, we see that basically humanity then just escalates to to evil. And so in Genesis 6, 5, it says, the Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth. And that every idea in their minds thought up of was completely evil. So they go from God looking at the garden saying it's good to even their thoughts are completely evil. So I would say that that breaks the heart of God, honestly. God looks at this world when we have gone so far away. And I would say that he has great sorrow and there's great tragedy in this story yet it's not the end of the story we know and there's this one person who makes a complete incredible difference because he lives out the purpose of God in his life he was the one that was able to show the way to make the difference and Noah was asked to do things by God that were so incredibly absurd that people would have laughed at him but if you take a look at a second look at the passages, you'll see, wow, that's, that's a lot of faith. That's an example. That's a model. That's a person to follow in their footsteps. So I have a longing in my life to be like some of the characters in the Bible, at least a portion of their character of the characters in the Bible. And there's a longing to have that kind of faith that Noah would have that kind of faithfulness, that kind of tenacity, that kind of perseverance and endurance in his his life. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the story of Noah, and we're going to learn how to have that kind of faith. And so first, I just want to point out, just initially, that Noah built an ark. And if you would have built something for that long, and if I would have built something for that long, it takes obedience and that's what this event teaches me about how to have this kind of faith is, is, is Noah is an example of obedience. And if I want to live a faithful life, I need to exercise obedience in my life. So everything about him building the ark was just pure obedience. He didn't really know what God was up to. He didn't know really what God wanted him to. Did he even know what it was truly going to look like after he was done? He'd never done anything like this before. But God said, do it, and he did it. And that was his beginning, as he stepped out in obedience. So it all begins in Genesis 6, 8. And there's a word that's found in this verse, and it's a very important word in the Bible that's going to continue through all the books of the Bible all the way to Revelation, is you will see in Genesis 6, 8, but as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. The Lord approved of him. So the Hebrew word, because Genesis was originally uh, originally in Hebrew, And the Hebrew word that is translated as approved is chen. It's chen. It's the Hebrew word for grace. The Lord had grace on Noah. The Lord had grace in the midst of a perverse society. He finds this one person and he finds grace and he finds favor to put upon him. So I think right away, that is just profound in this story in Genesis 6-8, where the Lord had favor. He looked at Noah with favor, with grace. So there's a couple of other ideas around Noah's description of who he was, his character. So you'll see um, in Genesis that he not only was just an obedient person, But in 6.9, it continues and it says, in his generation, Noah was a moral and exemplary man and he walked with God. Noah was a moral and exemplary man and he walked with God. Not only did he have the grace of the Lord, he had favor, but he also was moral, he was exemplary, he was blameless, basically, and he walked with relationship with God. So he was moral. And we learned about morality a couple of times ago in this series, in The Best Stories Ever, where we were talking about morality is not really just your list of of goods and bads right in your life. And if you have more good, this is the way we weigh morality usually, is if you have more good than bad, you're a moral person. Um, And if you have more bad than good, then you're an immoral person. Well, that's just not the definition of morality that I see in Scripture. Morality is the ability or the skill. You have the skill set to determine between right and wrong, between righteousness and unrighteousness. You have the skill set to do that. And so our sins don't stack up in our life like, okay, you're gonna take coins out of my bag or fill my bag up full of coins like a transaction. That's not necessarily how morality works. So an obedient person has the skill set to know between right and wrong. So he looks at this perverse society and he understands righteousness. He understands the righteousness that God acknowledges, and he acknowledges that same righteousness. So there's an order of things here. Notice that first in 6.8, that Noah finds grace in God's eyes, and then he's a moral person. And I think that there's an order there that needs to be, be, we need to pay attention to it. Because righteousness means that I'm in right standing with God, I have a right relationship with God and then right actions come out of that right relationship. Okay, so I don't work myself into righteousness with God. I'm declared righteous by God and then my righteous acts in God are then uh, uh, carried out in my life. So he was also an exemplary person though and that means that he was blameless amongst the people. So he was moral he had this compass he understood he had the skill set between to determine between right and wrong but then his actions were carried out in a blameless in a blameless fashion so that kind of sounds like to me that he didn't do anything wrong and that's not necessarily what blameless means and it's an interesting word and in the and the nearest word that we have for the hebrew word tahmin for the exemplary, uh, the exemplary translation, is whole. That Noah was a complete, whole person. Wholeness is one of those attributes that you're living a life that you're not necessarily always under accusation yourself or by others. You're living out a purpose and a wholeness. You're giving others. Of yourself and that then you're not accused of wrongdoing you're blameless because you're carrying out the will or your generosity or your giving of yourself you're a whole person you have something to offer the world so Noah was a whole person in a broken world. So I look at his morality and it's carried out probably in a lot of generosity, probably in a lot of affirmation, probably just in a lot of just gift giving, not necessarily money and stuff, but just gifts of himself. He is, he is, a, is a generous person of self. So he also walked with God. And an obedient person has that kind of relationship. Relationship with God, meaning that you are actually walking in, in relationship with God. There's only two people in the book of Genesis that are said to have walked with God. And one was Noah, and the other was Enoch. And it's interesting about their background because Enoch was only seventh in line of descendants of Adam, and we already know Adam's family dysfunction. And how about Noah? His father and grandfather were both still alive at the time when God declared that every inclination, every thought of man's heart is to do evil except for Noah. And so what is that telling you about this generation or these generations, even the father and the grandfather and everyone else in Noah's family, their heart's inclination was to do evil. And that's a huge accusation on the world. So there is a redemptive peace in all of this and the story of Noah is an illustration of salvation the entire world is wicked the entire world is perverse and God declares us righteous he declares Noah righteous and God's going to wipe out all the sin over the all the earth and the only ones that are declared righteous will be saved through this event and so in Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. This is the obedience. He was obedient to God, and he's going to experience redemption. He's going to experience salvation. He's going to experience God in, in, all, of this, in all of this event. So I also see this idea of trust. Trust. Trust is one of those words that we all have our own definition of. Um, I can trust you as far as I can throw you, right? I mean, that's, there's old adages that are built around the word trust. Trust is one of those words I think that are misunderstood. Um, I don't necessarily think that you always have to have blind trust, but yet there's sometimes that you have blind trust. So it's just situational. But trust is different situationally. It's different in every single case, in every single situation. So Noah entered the ark. And here's here's this working definition of trust. Noah entered the ark. He took his obedience, and now he's going to apply it. And that has to be a scary moment. He's got all these animals in the ark. He has, has, you know, all all this stuff in the ark. And then he walks up to the door and, he, and what's really important is he walks through the door. Did he know what was going to happen? No. Did he exactly know all the events of the coming days? Absolutely not. Did he even think that he was going to survive the hour? I, I probably doubted. He probably thought that he was going to die along with everybody else. But there was a door. And that's, the redemptive, that's a redemptive piece in this story um, in and of itself there's a way to salvation. There's a doorway to salvation. And so if the ark in this metaphor represents the, the tool of salvation, there's a doorway. There's a way in. And that's an important piece to remember. And also, it's an important piece to remember in Genesis seven sixteen. it says this, then the Lord shut the door. The Lord shut the door. The Lord did the work. The Lord saved them. We can build our, our situation. We can have obedience. We can actually put some of the ark together. We can even walk through the door, but we have to remember the Lord is going to shut the door. The Lord is going to do the great work of salvation. This applies, the shutting of doors, this applies not only to salvation, but it applies to every day in my life. And when I think about the Lord giving and, and taking away, um, the Lord will give us opportunities and he will take away opportunities. And we will have doors, the, the, the illustration or metaphor there is we will have doors that open and doors that close. And we will walk through doors in certain seasons of our life and those seasons will end, and then we will walk through another season. We will walk through another door, and that door shuts, and, and this door opens. And so the, the Lord opens doors. He gives us opportunities, and he takes those opportunities sometimes away, and he opens up other opportunities. He says, I'm opening this door, but yet I'm closing this door. It's shut. And that's, that's, a, that's a great metaphor that's a great idea and it's scary sometimes when we are leaving one journey and entering into another leg of a of another journey and god opens another door and shuts this door but i can promise you i can promise you this as the lord is opening doors and shutting doors in your life it is hell in the hallway It is hell in the hallway. We many times don't understand what's happening next. I mean, we might have an idea or somewhat of a plan and we might have gotten used to this plan over here, but this is now over and now I have to walk over here. That Even that transition of leaving something that you know and going to something that you don't know, that transition, just that walk across the hallway, it's hell in the hallway. And so the door was shut And it was seven days after the door was shut before the rain started to fall. Think about those seven days. How did Noah feel during those seven days? It was like the hallway. It's like, are you kidding me? Like we built this ark, it took so long. I did everything that you told me to do. I got all these animals, they're pooping all in the corner, and I'm sitting here in the stench what am I doing here? Seven long days. I've been on a boat for three days with no contact with my family. That was hell in the hallway. I mean, what was I doing there? God, you made this promise? The rain's supposed to come? Seven long days. I don't know how long you could wait, but I think I would be scratching the side of the ark by that time. And I think that 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 that's part of the journey many times we're preparing ourselves in a seven long days 7 days long waiting period and you're wondering where is god in all of this maybe that's part of the process and i know that's hard to say i say that easily online <laughs> i could tell you that sometimes my remunerating mind and my anxiety and my stuff boy, it sure churns for those seven days. But I always want to be the person that trusts in God. And sometimes it it requires waiting. Sometimes we're faced with the waiting. Sometimes we're faced with the hallway before the next door opens. Noah enters the ark, and now he's ready to face the flood. Seven long days, and the rain comes. The ark says something very powerful, and this whole scene says something very powerful. Excuse me, the flood says something very power, powerful, and the ark says something powerful as well. The flood says that sin is very serious. It's serious business. It breaks the heart of God. And sometimes we take it lightly, and we, we just are kind of apathetic towards sin, and it, but it's serious in the heart of God. It's serious matters with God and with people sin breaks relationship with people it breaks relationship with creation and it breaks relationship with people we need to take sin seriously just like God takes sin seriously but we also need to take something else seriously is the ark represents grace the ark represents salvation the ark represents mercy it represents love it represents God's goodness and we need to take that seriously as well is God is merciful, he's gracious, he's kind, he is savior, and he wants to save you. So in Genesis 7-5, God did everything, even the seven days, even the waiting through the rains, even the flood, and if you think about all that he did, the entirety of all he did, it not only shows his obedience and, and, and his ability to be tenacious during that time, it showed his trust where he was willing to go through this process, not even knowing really what the end result exactly was going to look like. But yet, it shows his faithfulness through the whole thing. How many days was he on there and his family? I mean, 40 days and 40 nights, right? 40 days and 40 nights is it's just the beginning. The Bible says that after Noah got on the ark, the flood started on the 17th day of the second month and Noah got off the ark on the 27th day of the second month. Let me say that again. Noah got on the ark and the, and the flood started on the 17th day of the second month and Noah got off the ark on the 27th day of the second month. If I calculated that right, which I did, that's a year. He was on the ark for a year and 10 days. And then I just said he was on the ark for seven days prior before the rain started. So that adds up to Noah being on the ark for a while, exactly 375 days, 375 days of obedience, 375 days of faithfulness, 375 days of trusting after 120 years of faithfulness and trusting and obedience. 121 years of full trust of the Lord with one specific event in mind. So I would have to say at this point that sometimes that just shows me that faithfulness is not easy. Faithfulness isn't fun a lot of times. being in the midst of the storm, being in the hallway, being in open and shut doors, uh, building something and people are mocking you at every level and worrying about the future and the waters that could that that are coming and and doing it anyway and 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 being obedient to God anyway, that's not fun. The last 10 years of my life and building, a church and being here and, and trying my best and doing the very best that I could with what I was and have been with what I've been given, I would say there's been a lot of good things, a lot of fun things over the last 10 years, a lot of great people. And there's been certain times that it wasn't fun. There's been certain times that it wasn't fun at all. And we all go through that In the 121 years, whatever we're building, whatever we're doing, however we're following the purposes of God, at some point you have to sit back and look at the goodness over the pain. It's easy to say, but in the midst of the pain, it's a lot harder. I understand that. Yet Noah had to look back at some point and recognize that as the earth was covered in water, that there was a new hope and there was a new future, and they were it, and they were carrying out God's purpose. The only person that can carry out God's purpose in your life is you and God. The only person that can carry out the purposes of God in your life is you. And we need to sit back and look at that, even in the midst of the not so fun, and even in the midst of the pain, and even in the midst of the trial. We need to look back and say, You know, God, you're doing a work in me, and I will be obedient. I will be faithful. I will trust. I will trust in you. Genesis 8 cleans things up for me, and it cleans things up for for everybody, because we're not going to leave you hanging. Here's the redemptive piece. In Genesis 8, it says this, starting in verse 1. God remembered Noah, all those alive, and all the animals with him in the ark. God sent a wind over the earth so that the waters receded. The springs of the deep sea and the skies closed up. The skies held back the rain. The waters receded gradually from the earth. And in verse 14, it says, In the second month on the 27th day, the earth was dry. And in verse 15, it says, God spoke to Noah, go out of the ark. Noah, come out. So if all the earth was like Noah in the ark, and, and the ark represents God's tool of salvation, Then our obedience, our faith, and our trust walks us right up to the door of salvation, and the Lord is the one who shuts the door. And the Lord is the one who saves, because he is the one who calls us out of that ark onto dry land, onto the new land, onto the promised land, onto heaven. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. The best story ever. So as we take communion, I look at this bread and this wine or juice, whichever you have today. And he says, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the vessel of salvation. And he says, this is my blood I give to you. This is the means of salvation. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And he calls us out and he tells us that he has peace with us. He calls us out on that dry land. Let's take this and eat. Lord, thank you for this story of Noah. This story of faithfulness and trust and obedience. Lord, help us to model this in our life. You call us to great things. Lord, help us to follow. Help us to build what you want us to build even though we don't know the future. Help us to walk with you closely in relationship as we are obedient, Lord, in your purposes. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the picture of salvation in Noah and the ark. And thank you for salvation in Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray. Lord, that we can live like this character of Noah, that we can live with with that wholeness, that we can live, Lord, with that generosity and that love and that giving back, and that we can live in favor of you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.